Lord, we ask that you would receive back these gifts of our tithes and offerings. Lord, may they be placed into your loving hands and be distributed as you see fit. In the name of your Son, who is our Savior, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to open them up to Acts, the fourth chapter, starting at verse 32. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32. We're going to be reading through chapter 5, verse 11. Now the whole group of those who believed were one in heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership over any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property with with his wife's knowledge, and he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped, and wrapped up his body, and they carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. This is the word of God. For us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, may you capture our attention and open our hearts and minds to your message. Lord, we are listening, and Lord, we pray that you would fall afresh on us today. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I was in college when I heard this scripture for the first time. I was fascinated by the idea that the early church took care of those who were in need to the point that there was no needy among them. 
I remember feeling a strong desire to see this continue to happen because when you're in college, you aren't convinced that things are impossible. And I wanted so badly to see to seek the way that Christ was calling me to live, and I wanted so badly to seek the way Christ was calling the church to live. This morning, I'd like to invite you to tap into your childlike faith and curiosity. Some of you out there have studied this scripture for years, while others of you may have just heard this for the first time this morning. Everyone in this room, whether you've followed Christ your whole life or are just starting to follow Christ, share something in common. Each of us are here today to hear from God. And I believe with all of my heart that God will speak to you. And I believe that God continues to speak new life into us and that God continues to teach us and to transform us if we let him. Our scripture begins with a picture into the life of the early church, and we're told that each of the believers were one in heart and soul. There was unity among those who professed faith in Jesus Christ, and there was unity to the extent that none of them claimed private ownership over any of their possessions. Each of them held everything they owned in common. They all had a loose grip on their possessions. The apostles were busy witnessing to the power of the resurrection of Christ in the community, and we're told in verse 34 that there was not a needy person among them. Wow. Can you imagine? There was not a single needy person among them. This is a powerful picture of the early church, and I would like to say that I believe this is God's dream for the church. These folks were so moved and transformed by the power of Christ that they actually took seriously the needs of those around them and felt it was their calling and their responsibility to meet those needs by whatever means necessary or available to them. This is radical living. This is a picture of the church Paul was talking about when he said, when one part suffers, everyone suffers. And when one part rejoices, all rejoice with it. The church is the body of Christ. This is what the early church was beginning to learn and realize, and they were coming into their identity as the body of Christ through the teaching of the apostles. These folks didn't wake up one day and decide that they would sell their possessions and provide for those who were in need. They didn't come to this on their own. But they were led by the Spirit of God at work in them, to loosen their grip on their possessions so that they wouldn't be possessed by what they possessed. They desired to have a tighter grip on God than on the world. It's astounding to me that this passage recounts the many who were called by God to sell their homes and their land so that others might have their needs met. I don't think any of us could argue that this kind of faith and trust in God is radical and is something we all could learn from. However, we can get caught up if we aren't careful. This scripture hasn't always been used appropriately, and like much of scripture, it has been used to bring harm to others intentionally or unintentionally. I'm reminded of the tragic history of Jim Jones and the church that he led to Guyana. Their desire was to live in community like the early church and share things in common. Yet things went awry. A couple of ways I think we get caught up in this passage is when we begin to say, 
oh, well, this is just promoting communism. Or we say, I don't think we need to sell what we have to make a difference. Or we get caught up and completely dismiss this passage altogether and claim that it didn't even happen. I'd like to pose a question to you all. What if you believed with your whole heart this actually happened? And what if you believed with your whole heart that God desires to lead our church, Weddington United Methodist, to be one in heart and soul? What could happen? And what would that even look like? If you back up a few verses and start from the beginning of chapter 4, you'll see that Peter and John find themselves on trial because they were proclaiming the resurrection of Christ and things in the early church were just beginning to pick up momentum. The disciples continued to preach and continued to heal in Jesus' name, and a man who had been sick was cured by the power of Christ at work in and through Peter and John. And it even says that the number of believers in Christ at this time was somewhere around 5,000, and most commentators agree that that number was actually double that whenever you take women and children into consideration. The Holy Spirit was moving and at work in and among the early church in such a radical, almost unbelievable way. Peter boldly proclaims to Jewish leaders that there's no salvation outside of Christ. And in this time, this would have been one of the most radical statements you could have ever made, especially to the Jewish leadership. And yet they were so overwhelmed and so overcome by the power of Christ at work in them, they were able to proclaim the gospel of grace in the midst of opposition. They even continue to pray for boldness, and they pray so strongly and with such conviction that we're told in verse 31 that the ground literally shook by the boldness of their prayer and by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. After an earthquake of the Spirit, it would only seem logical, natural, even for the entire group to respond to the power of God. And they did. Each one of them responded to God by becoming one in heart and soul. They all took seriously the needs of one another because they identified as the body of Christ. They knew when one part suffers, the whole suffers. Each of them witnessed and continued to witness the power of Christ working in and through them. Their lives became a living testament to the truth that when we cling to Christ, we inevitably loosen our grip on everything else. The early church shared things in common and refused to hold on to their things too tightly for fear someone else might be in need. But I'd like to comment that I don't think Scripture is saying here that it's wrong to have possessions. It's John Wesley, the founder of United Methodism, who famously urged all of us to earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I wonder if this passage is a call for us to consider the health of our stewardship. I wonder if this passage is a call for us to consider the health of the stewardship of not only our money, but of also our gifts and our time. Are we, Weddington United Methodist, one in heart and soul? Last year, our youth went on a trip, a mission trip to Golden Isles, Georgia. The service team I was a part of spent the week in a trailer park working on a woman named Helen's home. We cleaned up her property, and we painted, and we caulked her windows. 
When I had the opportunity to make conversation with her, I asked if she knew her neighbors. She quickly responded with, Oh yes, we all know one another. If there's someone who needs a lawnmower, we offer a lawnmower to them. If someone's car breaks down, we drive to get them and we take them to work. And if someone runs out of food before the end of the month, we invite them over to our house and we feed them. I was astonished by her response. I was expecting the typical, yeah, I know that person and those people over there, they're nice, but the people across the street just really keep to themselves. But instead, I heard a woman share with me how her neighborhood was a living and modern example of Acts 4. This trailer park worked together to make sure there wasn't a needy person among them. And they held a loose grip on their possessions, lest Christ invite them to share with someone among them. They cared for one another and even broke bread together. And it was on that same trip to Golden Isles, Georgia, that we all witnessed a real earthquake of the Spirit. We had yet another Acts 4 experience where, the, where needs were met by Christ through the church, only this time they were not material needs. On this trip, our, large, our lodging was provided to us by Rama Community Church, and their church was an abandoned strip mall that had shared space with a fireworks store and shared a parking lot with the Dollar General. This strip mall looked like one of those places you might wonder about. You might wonder if anything good could really come from this place. The outside looked rough and old and sad. We spent our days serving in the community, doing home repairs, and then each night we would return to the church to shower and eat and worship together. On the Wednesday night of our stay, Rama Community Church invited us to join them for their regular Wednesday night worship service. We all walked down to the part of the strip mall we had not been to before. When we walked inside, we were shocked by the beauty of their sanctuary. It honestly looked like the backdrop to the 1010 service. And each of us felt a familiar sense of calm as we found seats and waited for the service to begin. I kept thinking to myself, wow, who knew this was here? When the service started, the pastor got up in front of everyone and welcomed us all to worship. And he shared that we would begin the service with a few worship songs and then we would transition into a time of prayer concerns. In my mind, I figured this would be the typical small church way of lifting up concerns where each person lifted a name while the pastor wrote down their request on a small notepad. But my expectation could not have been farther from reality. Worship began and we sang through several familiar praise songs and once the singing was over, the pastor walked up and invited us all into a time of prayer. He invited anyone who had a concern to lift it before God in the congregation, and one man lifted up a family member who was sick. The pastor of the church walked down to where this man was, placed his hand on his shoulder, and invited him to extend a hand out towards him. The pastor prayed for this concern right then and there, and once he finished, he walked over to another person with their hand raised and invited them to lift their concern before God and the congregation. And he also invited all of us to continue extending our hand out towards them. But only this time, the pastor invited someone from the congregation to pray. This person, pray prayed, this person shared their request again, and we prayed for that person immediately. We all prayed together. All of us, hands extended out towards God. The presence of the Holy Spirit in that place 
was remarkable. And I'm being completely honest with you whenever I tell you that there were moments in that worship service where I could not breathe. I felt the power of the Holy Spirit so close to me. It's a time I'll remember for the rest of my life. It was so strong in that room. One student in our youth group raised her hand and asked for prayer for a friend who had been in a coma for several weeks. And the student shared about how this friend hadn't been progressing the way doctors had hoped and that they really needed God's help. The pastor walked down to our student, placed his hand on her shoulder, and asked a woman in the congregation to pray for this request. And again, I'm being completely honest with you whenever I tell you that I have, that was one of the most powerful prayers I've ever heard in my life. This woman praying over this concern lifted by one of our students. This woman prayed for God to wake this friend up. And for this young person to come out of their coma and to be alive in Christ through the power of their resurrection. That's not a simple prayer. It's not a simple prayer. When the service was over, our youth group sat down stunned by the way the Holy Spirit had shaken the ground we were standing on. Each of us felt overwhelmed by the greatness of God and by the beauty of finding ourselves in a room full of believers who were one in heart and soul. Each person in the church heard the needs of others and supplied those needs by praying for one another. We all began to trickle out of the sanctuary back to our rooms to get ready for bed, and I was walking through the parking lot back towards our room when I was met by one of our youth who looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, Meredith, I don't know how or why God wouldn't wake that person out of their coma. I truly believe that will happen. I looked back at her and I said, I believe it too, and I'm totally convinced God heard our prayers tonight. Fast forward a couple weeks to Sunday night youth, and I'm sitting in a small group of high school youth who are sharing their God moments from the summer. One student raised her hand and shared, My God moment was finding out that the person we prayed for in Golden Isles came out of their coma and was healed that same week we prayed for him. The Apostle Paul says, It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. What if we all submitted our lives to Christ in such a way that Weddington United Methodist Church becomes one in heart and soul? This is an incre- there is an incredible reality of the body of Christ, and each one of us are members of this body. Each of us, united together, become the body of our risen Lord and Savior here on earth. Jesus says in John's Gospel, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. In fact, they will do greater works than these. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there are many among us who are in need. There are those who have material, spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental needs. There are many who are in need. God's dream is that we would become unified together as the body of Christ and go out into the world so that all might come to know the living water. Isaiah 58 calls us to break the chains of oppression by sharing our food with the hungry and clothing those who are naked. And we all have a call and responsibility to turn our eyes towards Christ and dare to ask the Holy Spirit to move and work in our hearts and in our lives. I love serving in youth ministry because youth haven't started to think things are impossible. And I wonder if you have started to think things in life are impossible. Or I wonder if you're clinging to God and asking to be a part of making the seemingly impossible. 
possible. You know, the rest of our scripture this morning tells us of Ananias and Sapphira and how they withheld a portion of their resources from God. They both died right there on the spot once their secret was revealed. It's a shocking passage. It's really unsettling. Uh, But I think it reveals to us something important. I think it reveals to us that when we take matters into our own hands, someone suffers. We are called to submit our entire lives to Christ because we were never meant to be the ones in charge. And when we submit our lives and resources to God, God multiplies them in such a way that everyone's needs can be met. What if Weddington United Methodist Church was one in heart and soul? It's said that Mother Teresa would take communion every morning at 5 a.m. She was adamant about this practice because of the common phrase, you are what you eat, meant something to her. She partook of communion every day in the hope that she would become what God had in mind. Brothers and sisters, we love and serve a God who shares. We love and serve a God who shared his life for you and for me and made a place for all of us at the table. Christ not only wants to be at work in your life, but Christ wants to completely transform your life. It's God's dream for us to become one in heart and soul so that we can be sent out as the body of Christ to bring hope and healing to a world that is dead. There are many in need all around us, and we cannot ignore the suffering around us, and we must, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be compelled to do something about it. Christ was compelled to do something about sin and suffering. Christ always moved towards sin and suffering. Christ didn't run away from it. May each of us become what we eat. May each of us have the body of Christ that we will receive this morning digest not only in our bodies, but also digest in our hearts and digest in our souls and take root in such a way that we would be transformed, overflowing and abounding with grace and power. May the room shake with the presence of the Holy Spirit and may there be no needy among us as we become God's dream. In the name of Jesus, who is the Christ and is our Savior, amen. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful that you have a dream for us. And Lord, we're grateful that your dream is for all of us to have our needs met in you so that we can have transformed lives. Lord, you are the giver of all good things. And we love you. God, and we pray that we would be able to live lives radical, full of grace. In your precious name, amen.